0: This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman.
1: Welcome to episode 102 of the On The Banks podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Brightman, managing editor of On The Banks. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Football season is rapidly approaching. Rutgers kicks off about a week from now on September 2nd hosting Temple. In the 2021 season opener, the first home game with fans for head coach Greg Schiano entering his second season back on the banks and his second tenure. Lots of excitement in the preseason. Training camp winding down now, and the Scarlet Knights starting to focus on game week with Temple. Double-digit favorite as of now. But in addition to football, we have fall sports kicking into full gear this week. Uh, last week, Rutgers women's soccer uh, ranked now number 22nd nationally. Won their first game of the season and the first game for Rutgers Athletics in the school year. 6 nothing win over FDU. Uh, Rutgers women's soccer, as we've talked about in the past, a wildly talented team this year. High expectations for sure. And then this coming weekend, we have Rutgers volleyball, men's soccer, and field hockey all starting their seasons. Field hockey, another program with Big Ten title aspirations, an opportunity to really go far nationally in NCAAs. They finished seventh uh, nationally last year. They were preseason ranked 15th, which I frankly think is ridiculous with the talent they have coming back. I think they'll, they'll finish much higher than that this season. Um, I have an interview and preview coming out with uh, head coach Meredith Civico this week. Also an interview and preview coming out on volleyball with head coach Caitlin uh men's soccer. We uh, had head coach Jim McEldry on the podcast last episode. So, lots of uh, preview information on on the banks.com. Visit there this week. Um, but I wanted this episode to be a preview for college football and really the Big Ten. Uh, and of course, we uh, specifically on Rutgers. So, wanted to bring in an uh, On the Banks alum, but also uh, someone that really is on top of the college football scene and covers it on a daily basis professionally. Garrett Stepian, 24 7 sports writer and editor for the National News Desk. Really happy to have him here to talk about college football landscape in general, um, but really hone in on the Big Ten and and how he sees things playing out this fall. And uh, it's my pleasure to uh, welcome him in now. And now it's my pleasure to welcome in National News Desk writer and editor for 24-7 Sports, also Rutgers alum and on the banks alum as well, Garrett Stepien. Garrett, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Aaron. So college football season's right around the corner. Obviously, lots to talk about. You know, there's realignment talk going on with the SEC, how that affects other conferences. But just in terms of your kind of outlook on this season, in terms of who to look out for uh, national title contenders, who are you really looking at right now?
0: Well, I'm not going to be very splashy with this one just because I, I think every year in and out, especially if you follow recruiting, like only a certain amount of teams really have a shot to win a national title. And I think that pretty much lines up with what the preseason polls are looking like. I mean, Alabama, I don't know how you can count them out any year uh, as long as Saban's there. I think they're kind of a go-to choice for the playoffs. So I've got, again, not not exciting by any stretch, but I've honestly got like the four top four consensus teams right now. Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State. Yeah, I'm not a big believer in Georgia being able to crack that with Alabama there I'm not as high on Texas A&M as a lot of people are I don't think the Iowa states and the Cincinnati's of the world have really a shot to I mean they have a shot but like I don't the likelihood of them breaking through and getting into that top four not as likely Uh, so that's that's who I have again not that exciting because uh, they're pretty much the regulars especially coming off of last year but Until we see otherwise, like those are those are essentially locks to make the top four every year, every preseason around this time.
1: Curious on your look, outlook uh, with the SEC versus the Big Ten in terms of how things are looking in the preseason. Obviously, the fifth year senior, the COVID eligibility year has, I think, changed things a little bit. Big Ten seems pretty heavy on a lot of returning fifth year players. Um, Does that change your outlook at all in terms of how they compare to the SEC going into the season?
0: Probably not. I think at the end of the day, when you look at this, the SEC versus the Big Ten, I look at the top of the conference. So like the first two that come to mind, obviously Alabama, Ohio State. I don't know what I think the SEC, as far as when you look at the top of the conference, has more contenders potentially. Like I would take like a Georgia, even though I just said like maybe not as high as Texas A&M, but I would take like a Georgia or a Texas A&M at the top of that conference over kind of what the Big Ten has to offer. I think the Big Ten is kind of let Ohio state kind of really separate itself. Like, whereas in the sec, Georgia has been able to kind of keep up with Alabama in recruiting. Jimbo Fisher has been able to give Texas A&M a little bit in recruiting. And you're kind of seeing that gap close a little bit, even a Florida, for example, the way that they've been recruiting the job that Dan Mullen's done there in three years. I just think the sec, when you look at the top of the conference has more legitimate national contenders than say the big 10, like I'm curious. I, I thought last year that Wisconsin was going to be a legitimate contender. They could be this year, but um, a lot of that weighs on you know what the offense is going to look like with Paul Chris taking over play calls again, uh, how Graham Mertz develops after his first year there, how they continue to replace Jonathan Taylor, especially with a guy like Jalen Berger from uh, Don Bosco after last year. And so Penn State too, what is Penn State going to look like after last year's 0-5 start, even though they ended the season strong? I mean... Are they going to end up a team that's a legitimate Big Ten contender? Uh, The gap between them and Ohio State has kind of really widened over the past couple of years when everyone thought back in 2017-18 that it was starting to close. So when I compare the two conferences like that, I just look at the top and I see, you know, who's really a legitimate contender on the national stage. And when you look at the SEC, I mean, they've actually got some legitimate contenders there when you just look at the Big Ten it's almost it's almost
1: become Ohio State or bust. So staying with the Big Ten obviously uh, this of course as you know we're a Rutgers podcast in terms of last season's results with the Big Ten in general obviously there was a little bit of uh, upheaval per se with Michigan and Penn State having down years. How much do you think or how unpredictable do you think this year is compared to what happened last year just with covid and and um how you know that affected things with multiple players missing time you know and, and a team like rutgers that won three games but maybe was that a little bit of you know false progress with um maybe some beneficial things that happened um, along the way due to covid for me it's like I, like penn state for example like i think penn state really
0: like you kind of have to chalk up last year is like almost a little bit of an anomaly like them starting on five, like that's a talented team. And, you know, Sean Clifford, even though he's kind of been a little inconsistent and didn't take that next step last year. And you're only as good as your quarterback is in college football these days. Like he's shown that in flashes that he can get it done. And he kind of figured it out last year. I'm interested to see like what a team like Penn State does with Mike Yersich, who uh, was actually the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, in 2019 at Ohio state back when I kind of overlapped there with him. Like he's a very respected quarterback developer and offensive play caller. So like, I'm interested to see how that kind of works because a guy like Kirk Scirocco last year as offensive coordinator clearly did not work. And I think that kind of had an impact on Penn state, but I would, I would ch- like, there's still a team that's really talented the way that they've recruited over the past couple of years. I th- kind of look at it as a, t- as a team by team basis. Like, Michigan has kind of been on a decline these past few years like what are they going to look like this year the fact that they brought in a five-star freshman quarterback and he didn't win the job or really compete as much for that matter Cade McNamara who was okay last year the fact that he didn't really push him as much for the job as maybe they would have liked that's something that I look at too so I kind of look at it as like a team-by-team basis like Penn State was obviously dealing with a lot last year and dealing with a lot of turnover, whereas like a team like Michigan, you kind of seen the decline and a team like Michigan say for example, breaking in Mel Tucker, who was kind of behind the eight ball, um, getting involved in late February, what are they going to look like this year, so I kind of chalked up last year as kind of like a team by team basis, not not necessarily like COVID impacted teams more than others. And obviously Rutgers, I mean, kind of took advantage of that, but I think they deserve a little bit of credit too, because what would that team have looked like last year if they had Chris Ash or someone there? You know, I kind of that's kind of what I chalk it up to. So see kind of like what the there are a lot of teams in the Big Ten though that could go either way, but basically after Like, you know, you're going to get out of Ohio State. What's Indiana going to bring you this year? After non-conference play for Rutgers, it really comes down to what games can you steal? Kind of like what they did last year. And uh, obviously, we all know, looking past the box score, like, it probably should have been flipped around. So, can Rutgers returning, what is it, 20 starters going into this year kind of build off that? We'll, you know, see how that obviously unfolds, and especially against, you know, some of the teams that are in their respective positions this year.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, Rutgers has the most production, most starters back in the Big Ten, but it also comes in a year where, you know, most teams have the majority of the production and starters back. So how much of a, you know, impact is that really going to make? But I think it really comes down to the development of the team, you know, first offseason with Shiano and the staff having a, a true traditional offseason. You know, in terms of those games, I think the challenge for Rutgers making a bowl is pretty much all the games they need to win, they have to win. Is there, I guess in terms of the East, you mentioned Indiana. I was going to ask you, you know, how for real do you think they are? And is it really all, you know, hinging really on Michael Penix and him staying healthy?
0: Yeah, I actually did a, uh, earlier this year, kind of a, had to do a bold predictions piece back in April. And I, my thing, which maybe isn't so bold, I guess it is nationally because a lot of people are really like buying in on Indiana and thinking that they're going to be what they were last year. I'm like not as sold. Like a lot of it obviously depends on Michael Penix Jr., who obviously, you know, has been very, proven to be very injury prone throughout his career, uh, mm-hmm. pretty special. But like, is he going to be able to get through a full season? Is he even going to be ready for the season opener against Iowa? Like that's, that's a big opener that they have to start the season. And I think Iowa is a legitimate contender in the West this year. I think that's going to be something to watch for. How do they start off and how healthy is Penix able to stay? I give uh, Tom Allen a lot of you know, respect. I think he's built a respectable program there. But is what they did last year going to be sustainable, especially in the East? Like, I don't know. I don't think so. I expect Penn State to, to bounce back just because of, you know, like I said before, that's a talented team. But I don't, you know, so with that said, like I kind of the way that I see the Big Ten East kind of shaping out, like probably Ohio State, Penn State, and then Indiana falling kind of closer to where they were in 2019 in a year where they went like eight and five so when it comes to Rutgers in indiana i mean if you remember that game last year Rutgers could have really pushed at a different time in the season could probably could have pushed indiana a little bit better than they did that game so i don't know if i would pick ruckers against indiana this year but that is definitely more of a swing game than say like and Ohio State or Penn State on the schedule, or, or Northwestern for that matter. But to answer your question in general, um, with Indiana this year, I think they're going to take a step back. But that's not to say that they're going to you know, not be a bowl team or anything like that. I think they're just – I think they really – they, again, were a team that took advantage of the COVID year last year. And when Pennix went down and they had a guy like Jack Tuttle in, they were a totally different team on offense. So, I mean, they have some good tools returning and they have a good defense, but they're going to be as good as their quarterback
1: goes. And can he even stay on the field? Like we're going to find out. So just talking about, you know, what Rutgers was able to do with Shiano's return. You, you covered Shiano when he was a defensive coordinator at Ohio state for two years. What do you think he learned from that? What do you think he took from that? And were you surprised how much progress they were able to make in year one, especially with all the, surrounding circumstances with covid and everything like that. I
0: think one of the biggest differences with Shiano from his first go around at Rutgers to even right before he started at Ohio State like Rutgers is a job he probably like thought he was too good to take uh, around the second time when they were you know post flood when they were looking third place flood and you know everyone got excited about the idea of a reunion there like I don't think that was ever really on the table and I think a big reason for that was Shiano having, you know, the success that he did at Rutgers the first time around, the taste of the NFL and thinking that like, you know, he was going to get a, a big job, whether it's in college or you would resurface the NFL somewhere else. I think when he went to Ohio state, I mean, it's been well-documented what he learned from urban as like a recruiter program builder, but I think he really learned like, kind of to humble himself a little bit. Like he was his whole, previous 13 years or so he was the guy you know running a program of barking orders and now he went from that to you know reporting to urban meyer who obviously a bit uh quite the presence so i think three years that he spent around urban kind of really changed his perspective and humbled him a little bit and i think he obviously picked those pieces of how to build a program how to recruit especially when you don't have the Ohio state logo on your chest, which he's been able to apply obviously to Rutgers. Cause obviously the the three years that he was at Ohio state, he was not only Florida area recruiter and defensive coordinator, but you know, he was the area recruiter in New York, New Jersey, and he was able to build up relationships there. But um, yeah, I think overall like that mostly taught him to kind of like, if he doesn't go to Ohio state from 2016 to 18, like I don't know if he's the Rutgers head coach at this point because Mm -hmm. I think that definitely had played a role in him wanting to get back out there as a head coach. And I think, like, I'm pretty sure – like, I remember hearing back when I was at Ohio State that the offseason where they gave the uh, coaching job to, I think, Taggart it was. Like, Shiano was in the mix there. So, like, these are the jobs that he was gunning for. And uh, I think UCF was another one before it went to Frost. But, um, like, these are the jobs that he was gunning for. And then, when obviously, when Tennessee happened – I think that kind of reshaped the uh, as far as like the net that he was casting. But overall, I think that's that three-year tenure at Ohio State is is really will let him back to Rutgers because, I mean, you you kind of see it in the media availabilities and the year last year just being back around and leading a program like this is guy. This guy's a program builder and he's a head coach at his core. Like a long defensive uh, experience, and even if you remember like the short stint that he would have had uh, with the Patriots uh, when he took that job with Belichick and reverse course. Like, I think that was all because he wanted to be a head coach and we've kind of seen that already take off running in the past year.
1: I agree with you. I think another impact that Ohio state had on him was just his, he seems to value the entire athletic department more now and sees the value in all of the different teams doing well. And while that, why that builds the brand for Rutgers overall, and it helps football, you know, in recruiting and just national presence as well. So I I think I've seen a big change in him and just how he kind of uh, embraces the other sports and and the whole athletic department in general. Just in terms of how you see them this season, obviously recruiting-wise, you know, he's done, I think, a great job on the transfer portal, just um, adding talent and depth to this team pretty quickly. Obviously, he's doing great recruiting-wise for the class of 22. You know, do you think they'll be able to take another step this season talent wise. It's more or less the same from last year. It's really about development. Um, and and what, do you, what are your thoughts on the coaching staff in general that he's been able to, to build?
0: I was really surprised last year with, you know, obviously, like we said before, like that record could have easily, easily been flipped around, but just to even go three and six against big Ten play was really surprising. And they had a lot of moving parts. I mean, like Noah Vedrill is pretty limited and he is what he is, but you know, He's a good leader in that locker room. I think guys gravitate towards him. Aaron Kirkshank definitely showed flashes on offense after mostly being a special teams guy. I mean, he's still kind of, that kind of is where his bread and butter is, but I think he really improved as a receiver as, as the year went on. It's like transfer portal recruitment that they had last year. Like they, a lot, I think a lot of those guys really surprised me with how much they were able to contribute right away Uh, and not just contribute, but like contribute into competing and and winning ball games. So when you look at a guy like Joshua Youngblood, who they added uh, in the transfer portal this year, like that kid's electric and he's cut from the same cloth as a guy like Aaron Cruikshank. When you have potentially those two guys deep and both uh, options on offense, that's pretty exciting. And in the second year of a guy like Sean Gleason's system, I, th- I mean, that's I mean, what more can you say about Sean Gleeson uh, off the bat last year? Uh, I think even like the stats really don't. Uh, tell the whole story of that, where the, the offense ranked. I mean, just with how limited they were last year and how he was able to retool that offense to keep them in a lot of those games and competing. Very innovative when you take a look at last year and, you know, the combination of the transfer portal and the first year staff and a lot of the guys that they're returning, uh, like you said, the development of guys, I think Bo Melton took a big step last year when Rutgers fans have probably been waiting for that for the past four years. And he finally put it together, which Tyquan Underwood obviously deserves a lot of credit for just as a developmental coach. I think offensive line is obviously still a big question mark. I know that's been like a big theme out of camp, but uh, when you bring back a guy like Isaiah Pacheco in his fourth year, a uh, guy like Bo Melton for a fifth year and like I said even though you ha- you're a little limited with what you have in Bedrill but you know he's 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 a guy who's going to compete and guys are going to follow yeah I think I think they could build off what they did last year and I, again I think people forget all the time that that record could have easily been six and three so I think a lot of the times like when you look at this year's outlook I think their season really like lives and dies in the month of September right like Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware, you're not getting Temple in a year where you have, you know, Matt Rule running that team. And Dino Babers and Syracuse are coming off a couple of down years, and he, he's he's on the hot seat going into this year. So those matchups aren't what they would have been probably X amount of years ago when, when these were scheduled. Um, these are a lot more winnable than they would have been in the past. And then obviously an FCS matchup in Delaware, even though Delaware – typically is, is not a slouch of, a, of an FCS program. I think the, again, the season kind of lives and dies with September. Like, can you win those games that you're supposed to win? And then, you know, I threw this out there as a joke on Twitter, just as a, uh, you know, uh response to a quote tweet about like, what could really turn the, the season upside down. But like Rutgers comes out three and zero going into that Michigan game. And however, Michigan's, you know, looking going into that week, especially after playing a team like Washington in the, in the first month of the season, like, Anything can happen in that game, uh, depending on how the momentum's rolling. So I think it's easy to forget how that game went last year for a lot of people. Like that's a game that Rutgers really, uh, you know, squandered and should have won, frankly. So yeah, I, I again, I think September is really where it lives and dies, and then you you look at the rest of the season. A lot of to- the the toss up games really come down to like Michigan State. At home, a uh, homecoming game, in Illinois in its first year with Brett Bielema. And that's obviously a, a team they should have beaten last year as well. So, and then Indiana, Maryland at that point, like those toss up games, you can easily find your way to six wins if September goes how they think it can go. So, I think that's really the unique perspective of it here is again, like you're not getting Temple or Syracuse in a year where those teams are thriving. Like those teams are both coming off down years and kind of in you know, rebuilding mode, quite frankly. So, yeah, that's, that's, I'm sure you agree with this, but that, that's
1: really where I think it lives and dies this year. I totally agree. I, I think for so many years, we, you know, Rutgers has not been able to make it out of September and, and there's games on the right. schedule Even when they were bad, you thought, you know, like Kansas, for example, you know, they can't mm-hmm. lose to Kansas and then they get embarrassed by, so when you're middle of September and the season is basically already on the brink, uh, I think it also creates so much more pressure, for the team. And that, that was one point I wanted to talk to you about was just, I, I think, even if they don't make a bowl, winning those first three games, I think, ensures that this team is going to be motivated the whole rest of the way. Not that they wouldn't be unmotivated, but um, I think with Shiano there, but I think it just adds a little bit of an extra kind of, you know, oomph factor for them to really fight and claw their way, uh, e- even if they only get yeah. to fight, I think yeah. that kind of
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, like Michigan state last year, like you saw a way to a win in that game, but once they just flat out, you know, beat the brakes off Michigan state in that game, like it really shaped that whole season's perspective. Cause then they went into Indiana and really gave them a game, Ohio state. They never let that turn it. I mean, the, the final score is what it was, but they never really let that get into an ugly game. Like they were, you know, throwing punches. So I think that really set the tone for them the rest of the way to your point. And, you know, if they, they come out and they win those games, like that stuff really builds around the locker room. Like everyone starts, you know, thinking you're better than that you are. And there's, there's a little bit belief in there. And like I said, the, the the ball starts rolling into that Michigan game. Like even though it's at Michigan, like this is not your father's Michigan anymore. <laughs> so it's college football. Anything can happen going into that type of weekend. But um I definitely agree with your point there. I think that they really rallied around that Michigan State win last year, and then gave Indiana more of a game that they than they would have otherwise.
1: Looking big picture a little bit with Shiano and Rutgers, you know, you mentioned Indiana a little bit uh, before. Obviously, long term, you know, for Rutgers to ever make a leap, obviously, recruiting wise, they they're doing uh, really well right now. We know this uh, coaching staff is going to be able to develop players, but it also matters what the other programs are doing too. So for Rutgers to ever make that leap up the Big Ten East, you're talking about Maryland, Michigan State, and Indiana, right, in terms of being able to beat those teams consistently and move past them. Who knows, maybe Michigan you know, becomes one of those teams that's winnable each year. What's your kind of, I guess, next three-year outlook in terms of how all of those programs are looking right now, and does Rutgers have a – is it good timing in a way with the way Maryland is trending down the way Michigan state's kind of in flux and the way Indiana probably isn't going to be able to keep up this piece.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Like I said earlier, like, I don't know, like Michigan state could be something under Mel Tucker, but like, I'm, I'm really not sold. Like I know last year was a big circumstance of like him getting there late and the COVID year, but like, I don't, I don't know that they did enough this year to like really, really turn things around. So I'm interested to see how that works. I mean, obviously Mark D'Antonio didn't do Mel Tucker any favors with the way that recruiting really fell off a cliff the last couple of years that he was there and the way that, and the time that he left. So interested to see kind of how Mel Tucker is able to, you know, do the job at Michigan state Maryland, same thing with Mike Loxy. Like he gets the guys in the DMV area, but like, that's about it. Like he's been a good play caller at Alabama and as an offensive coordinator, but like he still has no proven success as a head coach. And uh, what, what does that team look like this year uh, with Talia Tungovailoa fully healthy? Are they able to take another step uh, kind of similar to the way that Rutgers was last year? Like they were kind of derailed by COVID a little bit. Rutgers got lucky with not having to face Talia in that game. Facing two Maryland backups, like what do they look like this year? But at the same time, not not really sold on what Mike Loxley can do outside of being a really good recruiter and in, in the DMV area. Indiana, like I said earlier, I think like their ceiling was really touched last year. Like I don't see them in a regular year being able to like legitimately knock off Ohio State. And a lot, of, I think a lot of their success really hinges on Michael Penix, like I said. I think at the end of the day, when you look at the East Division, like it's really an Ohio State and Penn State division still. It's just because of the way that, the like, when you look at recruiting and the talent that keeps coming in and the way that, that those staffs develop, like, it's really going to start and end with them at the top of the division. What happens after that, though? What Where does where does Indiana end up in the middle of the pack is Maryland at the bottom of the conference or in the middle Michigan like should they have just ripped the band-aid off last year with Jim Harbaugh and said they bring him around and not much has changed so I think that's what a lot of it depends on I think Michigan could really make a move back up into that Penn State Ohio State upper echelon in the east if they got a guy like maybe Matt Campbell or Luke Fickle I don't know what they I don't know what they're going to look like this year with Jim Harbaugh I think that the past three years have been kind of telling with the decline they've been on, but yeah. What, what do they look like in a couple of years with the new head coach? Does that, does that turn around potentially? So I think to your point, Rutgers is definitely catching this at the right time. We're like, it's still a slow build for sure. And like, I think the expectations going into this year should be tempered, even though when you look at that schedule, like you could see six wins on that schedule, but like, if it doesn't happen, like they're still ahead of schedule in, in what this was like, I think last year, doesn't really raise the expectations, but it just makes, it makes you aware of what the possibilities could be going into this year, but they definitely are catching this division at a good time to your point. And like we said earlier, like all you have to do pretty much in a typical year for Rutgers is get those three big 10 wins and you're pretty much looking at a bowl game. So uh, we've seen that work in the past So that actually happened. What in 2014, the year that they uh, went eight and five. So that's not really asking a lot, and with the way that the the division looks like right now, with those teams that we just mentioned, like
1: yeah, they are catching it at a good time. I think the biggest concern with Rutgers this year is depth. You know, I think they were very fortunate last season with not having a lot of injuries, and I think you know if, if that too deep gets knocked off a little bit with injuries, I think that that's where you're going to see a little bit of a drop off.
0: Yeah, with and yeah. as it
1: see them go to a bowl. Although obviously we would love it. Um, all right, last question, Garrett. Just in terms of the Big Ten overall. You know, I'm not going to ask you predictions per se, but uh, what give us something that you think maybe isn't on the radar or a little bit of might be a surprise this year for fans to look for.
0: I kind of briefly mentioned it earlier, but I think Iowa in the West is legitimate. Like, they came – that's a team that easily could have nailed it in last year with all that was going on off the field uh, with the strength coach and accusations and just, like, kind of the – I don't want to say culture, but the toxic, like, feeling around that program, they could easily nailed it in after they went and two and they ripped off six straight wins probably would have won a seventh straight against Missouri in that bowl game. If they, if it didn't get canceled due to COVID, like I think that's a team that's really flying under the radar this year in the big 10, because Spencer Patrice is like, maybe not Nate Stanley off the bat, but like, he's, he's a guy who, if he puts it together this year um, and takes another step, like that's a team that could really make some noise in the West. And obviously we've seen on a year in and year out basis, like the West is pretty much a wide open division, like Minnesota a couple of years ago, Northwestern every other year, basically uh, making a run. Wisconsin showed last year that like, I mean, if Graham Mertz can't really put it together, then like, that's a, they're not the the team they beat in the West division. And I think Iowa is a team that a lot of people are sleeping on because it's easy to forget that they ripped off six straight wins and the season last year. Kinnick stadium is a really hard place to play. And, um, Kirk Ferentz has been around uh, long enough to know what he's doing in this conference. And, you know, maybe they put, maybe they put together a year like they did back in 2015 around that time where like, you know, they're right in there in that big 10 championship game uh, with Ohio state or or a team, a team like that. So that's my kind of like off the radar thing that I've been keeping tabs on.
1: Yeah. I think I I have a lot of respect for Iowa. I agree. I'm always happy when Rutgers does not have to play them. And I think they're, they're really a model program. You know, if uh, for, you know, they, they recruit at a, at a high level, but at kind of in a realistic level, too, where I think that, you know, if Rutgers could even sniff the, the consistency that Iowa can can uh, put forth each year, that would be a huge accomplishment. Garrett Stepian, thank you so much for your time. Writer and editor for National News Desk for 24-7 Sports. I uh, really appreciate your insight and uh, should be a fun season ahead. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Garrett Steppian for joining us to talk about Big Ten football and Rutgers. Uh, I really think his uh, insight and uh, experience covering uh, Greg Schiano at Ohio State, he really nailed it on the head in terms of you know how that changed his career trajectory and, and got him back at Rutgers and also the long-term outlook and, and the way the Big Ten East is looking right now. You know, a lot, of, a lot of great insight from Garrett there. So thanks to him and uh, really excited for this season. And I think, you know, while excitement should be high, expectations should be kept in check. I I really do think depth is the biggest question mark for Rutgers this year and staying healthy. If they can, I think, you know, they potentially could make that ball game. But I think that, you know, it is going to be a very unpredictable year. Most of the Big Ten teams have a lot of production back. So plenty of coverage at On The Banks. We have our uh, season preview uh, stream right now. And uh, we have lots of predictions and, and preview information coming out in the next week. So please check us out at on on Twitter, OTV underscore SB nation. And we'll also have full coverage of all the Olympic sports that start off this weekend with volleyball, field hockey, men's soccer, women's soccer is back in action as well with a, with a non-conference home game against Providence, which will be a big test. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reading the site and, uh, Let's hope that this coming year will be uh, the best athletic year for Rutgers in a long time here on the banks
0: follow on the banks on Twitter at OtB underscore SB Nation, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. just search on the banks podcast.